his boss, came back on. You're supposed to send some people in, manually splice into the line. That's what Jessen said? Another pause. Yes. The supervisor whispered, I can't order anybody in there. It's suicide. Then find some volunteers. The driver eased the M70 bus through the traffic. He was approaching a stop and happened to look past the people waiting to get on board, his eyes taking in the old brown building behind the stop. On the front was a flaking sign in white paint on a blue background. Algonquin Consolidated Power and Light Company, substation MH10, danger high voltage. The last passenger about to board, a young Latino, was gazing at the substation, frowning. The driver noticed his head was raised as if he was sniffing the air. An acrid scent. Something was burning. Then, a flash of light. Light like a dozen suns filled the entire sidewalk. The passenger simply disappeared into a cloud of white fire. I have to tell you, he got out of the airport. He was spotted an hour ago in downtown Mexico City. No. Lincoln Rhymes said with a sigh. No. Amelia Sachs, sitting beside Rhymes' candy apple red Storm Arrow wheelchair, leaned forward. What happened? By the time we got the flight information from London, the plane had landed. CIA agent Catherine Dance's voice blossomed crisply from the speakerphone. Seems he hid on a supply truck, snuck out through a service entrance. Richard Logan was, they believed, his real name, though Lincoln Rhyme thought of him mostly by his nickname, The Watchmaker. He could be hired for larceny or illegal arms or any other scheme that needed elaborate planning and ruthless execution, but was generally hired for murder, killing witnesses or whistleblowers or political or corporate figures. A male voice intruded, Well, did you get him? Who? Rhyme snapped, and how artful a verb is get. Tom Reston, Lincoln Rhyme's caregiver, said, The watchmaker. No. But you're close, aren't you? Asked the trim man, wearing dark slacks, a businessman's starched yellow shirt, and a floral tie. Oh, close, Rhyme muttered. Close. Sachs walked around behind Rhyme's wheelchair and gripped his shoulders, began an impromptu massage. Sachs was tall and in better shape than most NYPD detectives her age, and, though arthritis often plagued her knees and lower extremities, her arms and hands were strong and largely pain-free. Rhyme enjoyed the fingers digging into his flesh. It was as if the small percentage of remaining sensation in his body was enhanced. The entourage arrived from downtown. Homeland Security's representative was a typically young but senior officer, probably born and bred among the country clubs of Connecticut or Long Island. His name was Gary Noble. The Bureau was here too, of course, in the incarnation of a special agent whom Rhyme worked with frequently, Fred Del Rey. He was accompanied by his newly named boss, Assistant Special Agent in charge of the New York office of the FBI, Tucker McDaniel. The NYPD's chief presence was stout Lon Salito, in a gray suit and, unusual for him, powder blue shirt. 
After introductions, Noble took the point position, Homeland Security carting the bigger umbrella. Mr. Rhyme, Lincoln. Sure, Lincoln, then. What do you know about the grid, the electricity grid? Not much. The basic scenario is, our unsub got into one of the power company's substations and ran a wire outside the building. Unknown subject, singular? Rhyme asked. We don't know yet. Then he got into the computer that controls the grid. And the electricity jumped, the FBI's McDaniel put in. It was basically trying to get into the ground. It's called an arc flash. A 5,000 degree spark. And the bus was his target? Rhyme asked. Seems so. Salito said, But they have rubber tires. True, McDaniel said. But the unsub had it all figured out. Either he was counting that the lowered step would touch...